on last week, which was about repentance. So last week we finished by talking about repentance and how is repentance interwoven with prayer? I'll ask that as a question. How is repentance interwoven with prayer? Other than that we, we offer prayers of repentance, how are the two interwoven? Or more specifically, how is the strength of prayer related to repentance? Anyone recall? Yes. Well, if repentance is turning towards God, and then we're offering prayers for turning towards God, and so we can't truly pray unless we're in a place of repentance. Yeah, so we talked about repentance. I don't know, actually, if I wrote the word on here or not. Uh, it's often spelled O-I, um, which is confusing because this is really just an I sound, metanya. Matanya. And this is the word for repentance. Matanya, the two parts. This has to do with the noose, which is our God sensing faculty of our body. And uh, this preposition in front means a change or a turning. So we could roughly translate into the English as, as a changing of the mind or turning of the noose, or something like that. <clears throat> the reason why repentance is so essential to our prayer life is because repentance says, I need God. Right? You might not often think of that, but what are we doing when we're repenting? Sure. Saying, look, I did it again. Here's this thing that I did. I need your help. Can we shut that door as well? Um, and so repentance gets us at this crucial point, which is I need God. Because this is really the problem. The problem is what? We don't recognize that we need God. And so I mentioned this passage from uh, the pilgrim continues his way, the second part of the way of the pilgrim. And he, this confession, it says, I do not love God, for if I loved God, I should be continually thinking about him with heartfelt joy. How many of us experience that? Continually thinking of God with heartfelt joy. Every thought of God would give me gladness and delight. On the contrary, I much more often and much more eagerly think about earthly things, and thinking about God is labor and dryness. So repentance makes it not dry. Because in fact, the reason why our prayer is dry is because we don't really, really, really feel that we need God. We all have the sense of needing God. We all know that we're not in control of our lives, but we still do it. We still keep controlling our lives. And so repentance, the more that we can dive into repentance to say, this is what I'm doing, and this is not working, and I can't fix it, the more that we can do that, the more that this fosters our need for God. And that gives its own life within our prayer life. Any questions or thoughts about that? Okay, so um, 
So uh, we are, our goal in repentance is to soften our hard heart. As the 50th Psalm says, a broken and contrite heart. This is what we want. Why? What's the Psalm say? You will not despise. You will not despise broken and contrite hearts. God loves us when we are able. He loves us always. But when we are able to get away from all the pretend and all of the I'm doing fine and all of the I don't really want to look at my sinfulness, when we're able to get away from that, then the real relationship can begin. So repentance causes humility, and humility then causes our need for God. Any questions? Anything? So that was repentance. So the last part, or the second to last part, the, the last part of last class that we didn't get to is about the Jesus prayer. So how many of you have heard of the Jesus prayer? Almost everyone? Most people? Okay. So I will write... Um, There are many slight variations of this. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Sometimes a little bit longer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Sometimes shorter, just Lord, have mercy. But uh, the Jesus prayer is something that you can't be orthodox for too long without having heard something about this Jesus prayer. And so what is it exactly? The Jesus prayer is an attempt to give us something that doesn't require a whole lot of thinking about. When we say our prayers, we should be thinking about the words that we're saying. When we say our Father who art in heaven, we should be thinking about those words, not going off in bunny trails about them, but just thinking about what we're saying, being present in the words. With the Jesus prayer, it's almost the opposite. Almost the opposite. Because we're focusing upon the words, but the words are so simple and so easily memorized that what is happening is we're more able to enter into silence. We're more able to enter into this quietness of the mind, of the heart, which is where we want to be. And so we have this simple prayer or some version of it. And this comes, it's very biblical. Remember the, uh, just a few weeks ago, the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And all the different people who are along the road to uh, saying to Jesus, like the blind man, Master, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who said the same also to St. Peter, asking for, for healing. So this prayer... Is, um, it's everywhere within the Bible, within our, our spiritual lives, or some version of it. Um, but the reason why we have the prayer, ultimately, is for Isihia. This has an anglicization of it. I don't know how to say that. Anglicized version of it. Isihia is the word in Greek. And we often, in translating words with vowels at the beginning into English, they put an H on the front. I could explain that why sometime. 
So what we see there is we begin to see the eye. What's that? Hesychast. Hesychast. That's the person. Isikastist. The person who is pursuing silence, stillness. That's what isikia means. So I'll spell it the way it should be pronounced. Isikia. I'm going to stress there. Isikia. So it's the pursuit of stillness. And that stillness is complete, meaning it's external and internal. The external is not terribly hard to pursue. And this is something that you see all around the world, right? All of these different things of meditation and all of this is about trying to pursue stillness. The problem is that it's de devoid of God or the wrong conception of God. But there's still that human desire. We have this desire. We say, my life is too much. There's too much going on. Usually that too much going on refers to the inside, our interior life. It also can refer to our exterior life. I'm running around too much. I just need to be calm and quiet. But quieting our inside is a whole lot harder. A whole lot harder. We can quiet our outsides pretty well, especially if you don't have kids around. You can just... Sit in your house at a time when you have some time. Just breathe slowly. Maybe close your eyes. And you've achieved external stillness very easily. Internal stillness is another thing. What is internal stillness? What is internal stillness? Peace. Peace? Peace? What else? Quiet. What does internal quiet look like? No thoughts. No thoughts. No thoughts. How hard is that? So we need something to assist us in that. And this is why we need this. <clears throat> because if I just told you, quiet your mind, just sit and be quiet and quiet your mind, it's virtually impossible. I would even venture to say it is impossible because our mind is just constantly racing and many times with fallen, broken, sinful things going on. And we all have our particular flavors of thought, our flavors of thought that tends towards despair or depression or towards um, aggrandizing ourselves or towards envying others or judging, all these different flavors of thoughts that we have going on. So we need something to hold on to so that we can then pursue stillness and silence. And that's what the prayer offers to us. Because the words are so simple, it's not so much about thinking about the words. We do. We have to focus on the words. So whenever we're saying the prayer, again, just like all of our other prayers, all of our mind and heart and body is focused on the words, on the words of the prayer. And for us beginners, and for most of us our whole lives, that should be done out loud. Should be done out loud. Why? It doesn't always have to be. And certainly you're in situations where you're not able to situationally. But I'm talking about, and, and actually let me make a distinction. Everything that I'm saying is really strongly referring to our prayer time. To our prayer time. 
We can't really achieve stillness and quiet when we're doing other things. What we can do is we can get quieter or stiller while we're doing the things in our life. And this is where we have the prayer for that as well. But to actually achieve quiet and stillness, this is in our time of prayer. So all of this that I'm talking about, I talked earlier about using this prayer throughout the day as a way of remembering God, as a way of bringing God's presence into our lives. But I'm really, in all of the talk that I'm giving right now, I'm really talking about sitting in front of your icons or standing. But commonly the Jesus prayer is sitting. And I'll, I'll describe some of the, the posture and other things like that, the nitty gritty. So um, we are in this time of quiet. We have started our prayers, maybe with prostrations. We've said some of our other prayers, whether it's in the morning time or in the evening time or in the middle of the day, whenever it is. We've warmed up our heart. Maybe we've done our scripture readings for the day. Maybe we've done some other spiritual readings. That's the time to enter into the Jesus prayer. Don't jump into it. That's for other times of the day. Jump right into it anytime, all day long. But when we're talking about it in our prayer time, we need to warm our heart up to this. We need to start to quiet our mind by focusing on the words of prayer, by focusing on the sacred words of scripture, and then we can enter into the prayer. So St. Theophan, Theophan the recluse says, the heart of the matter is this, stand with reverence before God with the mind in the heart and strive toward him with longing. The mind in the heart. How many of us experience that? What is that? What does that mean? There's a lot of talk within our spiritual writings about the mind and the heart and just the mind descending into the heart. What that means is that this is controlling us, not this. When we say the heart, it's really talking about the noose. It's talking more specifically, but to be honest with you, these words are very interchangeable within our spiritual writings. You'll read something in St. Pisces where he talks all about the heart, and he's not just talking about our beating heart, and he's certainly not talking about our heart in our Western understanding of the place of our emotions. He's really talking about something that's more like the noose. But then sometimes they use the noose, and sometimes they'll use mind in the translation. So it can get a little confusing. But when we talk about the mind descending into the heart, or as he says, with the mind in the heart, it's saying that my mind is not what's controlling me. Or rather, I am not um, governing my life through my mind, through the rational activity of my mind. I'm governing my life through my noose which is our God-sensing faculty. That is where everything that I'm doing, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, um, a hierarchy. So in the hierarchy of our fallen humanity, it's mind is first, and then the heart is there somewhere. But we always trust our mind. We always trust our thoughts. How often do we have thoughts that we really should be questioning? We really should be questioning, but they're just such familiar friends we just feel comfortable with them, and they're sinful and broken, and they cause our own destruction and our alienation from others and our division. So the prayer, another purpose of the prayer, that stillness is only achieved when the mind is quieted, and the mind becomes something that, as God desires, the mind flows out of our heart, that our thoughts come from God, that our thoughts are centered upon God, and that all of our interactions with the people around us are centered upon God. Any questions or thoughts? Anything? 
This may sound a little bit hard, I understand, but we all know that this is good medicine. Who doesn't want to quiet their mind at all? We all know that there's junk going on up there to a greater or lesser extent. And the only way, we can't just say, I'm going to quiet my mind. You can't do that. It's not simple like that. It's like the alcoholic saying, I'm just not going to drink. It's not that easy. So, but this is what we all want. We do. So you're all here because you want that. <clears throat> Put that another simple way. You all want to have peace, quietness within you, stillness, calmness. And whatever may come at you in life, you can receive it with calmness, stillness, with peace. But we know that that is a high goal. So this is the way that we pursue it. Uh, saint Amphilochios, a recent saint, in you know, this last century, he says, the Jesus prayer is the foundation of perfection. There is no other way to purification and sanctification except through the Jesus prayer. This prayer has filled paradise with holy men and women. Um, sorry, just looking at that. Okay, and then I wanted to read. So if you want to read more about the Jesus Prayer, there are plenty of books out there, but here are some that I'll recommend. Um, I mentioned this before, A Night in the Desert of the Holy Mountain. This is... Um, Metropolitan Hierotheos of Nafpakos. And uh, this is his experience with an anonymous hermit um, in um, the desert. Um, not Corulio, but um, I can't remember the name right now, but on the southwestern tip. Um, another is The Art of Prayer. And this was um, by the abbot of Valam Monastery, which is a famous monastery in the Slavic tradition. It's on an island between Finland and Russia, way north, way north. And um, so he compiled this. He was the abbot around the time of the First and Second World War. And this <coughs> is mostly quotes from other saints. So it's kind of like he was writing things down for himself, and then he shared it with others. Um, and then another classic um, by Ignatius Bryanchaninov. Uh, I'm not as good with the pronunciation of the Slavic names. Uh, a saint of the church. And it's called On the Prayer of Jesus. And this is more um, manual-like. Like going through steps. Okay, here you were at the beginning and things like that. So that's, that's pretty helpful. Um, so um, I wanted to read from The Art of Prayer. And this is, uh, as I mentioned, these are mostly quotes of other saints. This is from St. Dimitri of Rostov. He says this. The inner spiritual closet, remember from the Sermon on the Mount, go into your closet and pray. The inner spiritual closet also holds God and all the kingdom of heaven. According to the gospel words of Christ himself, the kingdom of God is within you. Explaining this text, St. Makarios of Egypt writes... The heart is a small vessel, but all things are contained in it. God is there, the angels are there, and there is also is life and the kingdom, the heavenly cities and the treasures of grace. This is half of the St. Macarius quote that's well known. It also talks about the dragons that are in there and all of the things that we're fighting as well within us. Man needs to enclose himself in the inner closet of his heart more often than he need go to church. 
It's not encouraging you to not go to church. It's saying, go <laughs> into your closet far more. And collecting all his thoughts there, he must place his mind before God, praying to him in secret with all warmth of spirit and with living faith. At the same time, he must also learn to turn his thoughts to God in such a manner as to be able to grow into a perfect man. First of all, it must be understood that it is the duty of all Christians, especially of those who are uh, calling, whose calling dedicates them to the spiritual life, to strive always and in every way to be united with God, their creator, lover, benefactor, and their supreme good, by whom and for whom they are create, were created. This is because the center and final purpose of the soul, which God created, must be God himself alone and nothing else. God from whom the soul has received its life and its nature, and for whom it must eternally live. So this is our calling. Um, <clears throat> so let me talk a little bit about the, the practical, uh, the practice of prayer of the hearts. So it's also called prayer of the hearts as well. So um, you have a prayer rope. Again, this is at, at the prayer time. This is not throughout the day. You have a prayer rope. Prayer rope has knots on it. It can be long, can be short, small knots, big knots. And with the prayer rope, we say the prayer. We beginners should say, should say it out loud. And also with the sign of the cross. Why? Because our mouth is being brought into control. Our body is being brought into control. And so we say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Each time moving the, the thumbnail to another knot, between another knot. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And most commonly, the prayer is said sitting. Um, you can do it standing. You can also do it kneeling on the ground, prostrate on the ground. But most commonly, sitting. And so, um, let me grab a chair. And then we can all practice this as well in a moment. So, sitting in a chair, and if you have a stool, that's great, because we shouldn't be like this, okay? We shouldn't even be like this. We should be like this. And if we put our feet under us, it also helps with the, the posture of your back, if that's a concern for you, instead of going like this. Depends on if you have back problems or otherwise, but... So we just sit simply like this. Closing our eyes, sitting in front of the icons, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. 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 And in this, we are forcefully fighting to have the only words in our head, in our heart, be the words of the prayer. The words of the prayer. And as soon as we start that, immediately there are, oh yeah, I need to do that chore today. Oh, I need to go over here. Oh, I can't believe that person said that. Oh, I'm still angry at that person. Why did this happen? Why is my child angry at me? Whatever, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of thoughts. And in that moment, we have to see that every single thought is a temptation. Every single thought is a temptation. 
If our goal is stillness and quiet, and we start going, I wonder what it's like in heaven. It must be so beautiful and joyful. What's happening? We're being pulled off into other things. Yeah, it might be good things. It might be thinking about the warmth of the Panagia. It might be whatever it may be. But at that time, every thought is a temptation. Our goal is to have no thought except the words of the prayer. Any questions about that? Any thoughts about that? So as you can see, that's very hard work. It's a very hard work. And so if you haven't practiced the Jesus prayer, first of all, the, the uh, caveat I always give is seek guidance. Seek guidance, especially with the Jesus prayer. Should not be something that we're just reading books and trying to do on our own. Should not. There are many ways in which we can delude ourselves, many ways in which we can be misled. So seek guidance. But in practicing the Jesus prayer, we don't want to have some big, massive goal of, I want to do, th it's always described in knots, by the way. 300 knots, 500 knots, whatever it may be. I don't want to do something big like that. Simply, maybe, this is usually 33 knots for the years of Christ's life. 33 knots. Start with that. To say the prayer 33 times and only be thinking about the words of the prayer, that's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. So we start with simple, bite-sized pieces. And it can also be, conversely, instead of talking about um, number of knots, it can also be a certain amount of time. Just set a timer for five minutes. Five minutes is a really long time if this is new to you. It's a very long time. You realize quickly how much your mind is racing. And that's the amazing thing about this, is that it reveals to us how we really are. We start to see, wow, I'm just all over the place and I cannot shut my mind up. I cannot quiet it. Anything? Got a lot of silence here. That's good. <laughs> but this is a class. Wait our next confession. Yes. Wait our next confession. So yeah, and actually that's a good point. Is confession is a perfectly good venue through which to talk about this. Um, that's commonly the situation where it is because oftentimes we're coming to confession saying, I'm not really keeping my prayer rule. I'm not really praying much at all. I would like to pray the Jesus prayer, but I am not. And so within the context of confession is a natural setting for that. Um, any questions about sort of the practice of it, the sitting in the chair or crossing ourselves, anything about that? And the pace that I gave is a, an appropriate pace. And I will forewarn you, if you like reading lots of books and you want to go and read a bunch of books about the Jesus Prayer, you'll see varying descriptions. You will. Some of the descriptions are more of a faster pace. Some of them are very slow. Some talk about breathing. Some talk about thinking of your mind going to your heart. Don't worry about those things. Don't read. If, if those things cause you to go, well, maybe I need to be doing something different, don't. Talk, especially seek guidance in those situations. So it's not like this um, monolithic, everyone must do it exactly this way. Some say it quietly, some don't do the sign of the cross. I've found those beneficial, so that's why I am recommending as such. Um, so, anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
So you're talking about achieving prayer of the heart. So what you mean is when the prayer is invigorated inside of you sort of spontaneously. That's down the road. <laughs> so yes, if you read anything in some of these, especially like the night in the desert of the mountain, um, they'll talk about, um, and some of the talking about it sounds so simple, and you're thinking like, so the prayer just starts up inside of you and just kind of keeps going like a motor? And I'll say, yes, yes. That happens for some people, sometimes, and for saints, maybe all of the time or almost all of the time. But we have to look upon those things really as gifts. They're gifts that are wrought out of much serious labor in our ascetical life. And not just prayer, fasting, denying ourselves, all of these things. So yes, God does give us gifts, and that would be a nice gift. And it may be a gift that some of you experience, or maybe you'll experience it for a moment. The beautiful thing is that God is a living being, way more living than we are. And, and as such, God reveals himself in certain ways, in ways that are unexpected, in times that are unexpected. You might have a time of prayer where you go, wow, I wish I could have that every time. So, but we don't know when that's going to happen or how. So, yeah. But you could think of that, it's not that that is a goal. Our goal is constant communion with God. What God gives us out of that is up to God. Um, in, uh, in the quote from uh, Dmitri of Rostov, he talked about the kingdom of heaven is within you. He quoted our Lord saying that. And it really reminds us that everything is about what is going on inside of us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand is referring to many things. It has many layers of meaning. But among them, but the kingdom of heaven is also, as our Lord said, within us. Like the, uh, the passage that our, our Lord said uh, in the Gospel of Matthew about the pearl of great price. And I'm going to pull it up here in a moment. Okay. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In those passages both, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. So it's this thing that can be acquired, not just in eternal life. Right now, it can be acquired. We can be partakers of the eternal kingdom right here and now. And this is the place where we experience it right in front of our icons in prayer. Um, so at this point, I'm going to change in the interest of time to talk about intercessory prayer, which is the last portion of the class. And at the end of the class, we'll, we'll do just a little bit of the Jesus prayer together. So anything else about the Jesus prayer? Of course, there's so much that could be talked about with this, so we can only go on so long. 
So um, another form of prayer that is essential to us is intercessory prayer. And intercessory prayer is a two-way street. It's us asking for the intercession of the saints and the Panagia before Christ. And it is us interceding on behalf of our loved ones who either are walking this earth or have departed this life. So we are both seeking intercessors at times, and also we are doing the intercessing on behalf of others. And sometimes it's both. Sometimes we're praying to an intercessor for someone else. Okay. Um, if, for those of you who are just here for the paraclysis, do any of you have the paraclysis book on you? Just took it to my car. Oh, you took it to your car, okay. So I have a different version of it, but it's, it's the same on the inside. There's a small blue, there we go, perfect. Just an example. Small blue book in the bookstore. I think they always have a supply of them. Um, so the paraclysis is one of our go-to services for intercession. And the service, which is what we just chanted here, come to the paraclysis as much as you can when it's in church, because then you'll learn the hymns. And then you'll go home and you'll be singing these hymns in your home. But um, the, the core of the paraclysis is what's called a canon. A canon has, they're, they're numbered nine odes, but there's never a second ode, so it's actually eight. They're numbered nine, anyway. Um, we have canons everywhere in the church. Um, and the, uh, the canon at the heart of, the, and this is called the small paraclysis, because there's a great paraclysis that we do only during the uh, dormition fast in August. So if you were to go home and pray this service by yourself, you can pray the whole thing. It's okay. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't start with blessed is our God because that really is a priest part. But, you know, all the, the psalms and the other hymns and reading the gospel and all of these things, you can do that all. But at its core is that canon. So if you were to get the paraclysis service and bring it home, you'd be looking for where it says Ode 1. Ode 1. And then Ode 3, remember there's no Ode 2. Ode 4, Ode 5, Ode 6, 7, 8, 9. Um, and they're scattered throughout. There are other things that are going on in between that. And then after the ninth Ode, um, it goes into this very uh, famous hymn within the church. Truly you are worthy to be blessed, Mother of God, the Theotokos. You are ever blessed and all blameless, the Mother of our God, more honorable than the cherubim, really uncomparable, glorious than the seraphim, who without corruption gave birth to God in the Word, and are truly a Theotokos who magnify you. So that, um, and then some hymns following that. So you do the nine odes, and then that hymn, and the ones immediately following that. Um, and this can be uh, prayed at home very easily. Um, it might take 10 or 15 minutes to read through those. Uh, and the reason why this is uh, sort of the go-to service of two things. One is because it's the Panagia. And who will intercede before God more than his own mother? No one will. So that's the one we want to go to. Um, the other is because the, prayer, the words of the prayer are so poignant to us. Because the words of the prayer are talking about physical and spiritual ailments and talking about our healing. Now, fair disclosure for those of you who may be new to orthodoxy and maybe haven't warmed up to the, the mother of Christ, who is our mother. Um, because remember, we are all brothers and sisters of Christ through the adoption as sonship. 
So she becomes our mother in that sense. Um, if you haven't warmed up to her, that's okay. It takes time. Um, but some of these services that I'll be mentioning, they use what I call shorthand. They say in between each of the stanzas of the odes, most holy Theotokos, save us. And then for some people, their sirens are going off. What is this? She's saving us? So that's shorthand, and I can explain the longhand sometime if you'd like in a, just a separate conversation. Or come to basics of orthodoxy. I did go through that a little bit more there. So um, that's just one of the services to the Theotokos. Um, another one that people often say who are parents is uh, the Akathist to the Mother of God, Nurture of Children. There's one for healer of cancer. There are other saints as well. Um, this I've been encouraging all of you to say, please continue to say this, which is the Akathist to our beloved patron saint, St. John the Baptist. So an Akathist, I'll write these on the board. Uh, I said paraklesis, paraklesis. And paraklesis is a rich word in Greek. Um, the Holy Spirit, O Heavenly King, Comforter, in that prayer we're praying to the Holy Spirit. Comforter is paraklitos. Paraklitos. The accents are always strange for us English speakers. Paraklesis, you might say. Paraklesis. Okay, this word means comforter. Uh, or, uh, this is the... This is like comf the comforting, this particular form. But let's use paraklitos. So it has an aspect of comfort, of supplication, of intercession. On the front of the book it says, um, it says the small paraclysis. Sometimes it says the service of supplication to the Theotokos. So what do we notice in here? Let's talk about directions, okay? So here is me. Here is um, the mother of God. And here is God. Of course, I can always pray that way. I always should be praying that way. But if I'm praying over here, what do we notice in this word? S supplication and intercession means, or this could also be any saint. The saint is doing that, right? <clears throat> this word up here, look. It's coming back to me. That's the beautiful thing. Isn't this family? This is what we do in our families. They say, give me a hug. And I say, do you need a hug? So um, this word, combines both of those things. Both of those things. So there are paracleses to other saints as well, many out there. Um, there's a paraclesis to Saint Nikiforos, the leper, who is a recent saint. He was a leper, yes. Beautiful paraclesis. Uh, if you are going through physical pain, who better to ask than a leper? Mm -hmm. Who knew physical pain? And this has some beautiful uh, hymns in it. Um, but back to this other thing of an akathist. So an akathist What does this word mean? For those of you who are Orthodox remember? Not sitting. Not sitting with 
Yep, not. Ah, it's sitting. <coughs> there are very many of the big words in Greek and in our church are very practical. <laughs> very practical. The not sitting service. Hey, okay. So, uh, but what is what is the nature of an akathist? So um, you're in a great time of year here because during Lent we will be doing the akathist to the Theotokos, which is the archetype of all akathists. And this is on Friday evenings. We also call it, and this is where it gets a little confusing, we call it salutations. And here it is me. And that's just because we're doing part of the akathist hymn. Each Friday night we do part of it for four Fridays, and then on the fifth Friday, we do the whole thing, and then we call it the Akathis. So when you see the, on the schedule of the services, it'll say salutations for four weeks, and then it'll say Akathis. So what is the form of an Akathis? Different from a paraklesis, which is clearly comforting, supplication, intercession, an Akathis is more about doxology, about glorifying the person that we're talking about. How many of you have read this? It's okay, don't worry if you haven't. How many of you have read through this? Okay. So if you read through this, there's not a lot of asking St. John to do things for us. Because it's an akathist. It's not a paraklesis. An akathist talks about all the glorious things of his life. Why do we pray that? How many of you have an illustrious ancestor? It's someone who did something valiant in World War II. I do. Or the Civil War. Or someone who was a big leader. We know about them. The more that we know about them and their deeds, the more that we're close to them. So an akathist helps us get close to the family that we are estranged from, which is our spiritual family. So Akathis is really important for us because this is a way in which we get to know the saint and also we are praying to the saint. We're, we're forming a bond of communion while we're saying these words of praise. And there are many, many Akathists. So some of them have a little bit more of an asking part to them, like this one I mentioned of the nurture of children. It's not to say always the Akathist doesn't have requests. But um, the, the more traditional, the older Akathists are those just of doxology, like the, the Akathist and the Theotokos that we do during the Great Lent. Any questions? Yeah. So your question is about listening to it. It's wonderful to listen to it. That's not prayer time. We can be prayerful when we're listening to something that is of the church. So yeah, we can be um, praying, listening to that if we want to learn it. But if we want to be praying it, we should be the ones saying the words. And this goes for prayers. Yeah, so this goes for prayers as well. Um, listening to prayers is wonderful. And that's a very prayerful activity, but that's not our prayers. Our prayers are the ones that we speak whether internally or externally with our mouth. Yeah. So I was actually asking if you were talking about not seeing the parts of the priest. So mm -hmm. if we were to play that while reading it and praying it in front of our conversations, that's okay? Or do you recommend that or not recommend that? Yeah, I guess if, um, <coughs> if we're trying to learn the hymns, maybe. 
maybe, but ultimately we want it to be ours and just ours because it is our prayer. When we want the prayer with other people, that's what this is for. So we should come to the services. Anytime we have an opportunity to come to these different services, we should. And that's a time when we're praying with others. But listening to a recording is kind of a, a hybrid in between there. And if it's to learn those hymns, I would say it's still better, not particularly in front of the icons, just read the words. You don't have to sing them. Read them in front of your icons as prayer, and then go and listen to the CD a dozen times or two dozen times until you start learning the, the hymns as well. So, um, so uh, a way to incorporate these into our prayer life, because if you go into the bookstore, how many would you say we have of prayer services of supplication or of acathists? Yeah. 15? Yeah, at least, yeah. So, so buy every one and go home and say each one every single night. <laughs> then you'll be a good Orthodox. So I've mentioned this before. There is no bottom in Orthodoxy. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So don't be disconcerted by, oh, now Father Matthew is saying I need to do a paraclesis or an acathist. Not saying that. A way to take a bite-sized piece is like, say, this acathist to St. John. So in Akathist, the format is not a canon where you have the, the eight odes that count up to nine. That's a canon. That's what the Paraclesis is. An Akathist has a series of Kondakian, or I'll show on the second page, Kondakian, which is just a paragraph, and then Ekos, which starts with a paragraph and then typically has this repeating of the word rejoice, 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 rejoice. And again, the, the archetype for this is the one that we're doing on Fridays of Great Lent. And then another Kentuckian, just a paragraph. And then another Ecos, which is a paragraph plus the rejoice, 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 rejoice. And each of those are numbered Kentuckian 1, Ecos 1. Kentuckian 2, Ecos 2. So that's a simple way. It's just do number 1 for one night. And then the next night, do number 2, the Kentuckian Ecos. The next night, do number 3, like that. Or maybe do twice that much. Whatever it may be. All of these can be done in bite-sized pieces. So, so not necessarily doing... Because usually those are like the first part of Compline and then... then and then you insert one. Yeah. So in the, in the monastic practice, it is Compline every single night and the Akathis to the Panagia every single night, which is read quickly in the midst of the Compline. So at home, we can practice that if we'd like to, but if that's a disencouragement to doing a paraclesis or an acathis, <coughs> then don't do it that way. So if you instead, you can also do it that way. You could say a night of the week. Say, you know, on Saturdays, I do the, um, the acathist for all the departed. There are acathists for those who are departed. Saturdays are typically for the departed. Um, or on Sunday night, I do my acathist to the mother of God, nurture <coughs> children and pray for my kids. So it could be like that. What we don't want to get into as a habit is sort of pick and choose. Um, that's, it's okay to occasionally add something, and that's nothing to do with our prayer rule or anything like that. I just feel inspired to pray for this person, and I'm going to do a paraclesis for them. Do that as well. Someone who's going through a lot of struggles. Someone who just had a, a you know, psychological breakdown. They need a paraclesis, and you need to do it, definitely. Um, but in terms of an ongoing practice of these, either pick a night of the week and do a whole one or a half a one or something like that, or do it every single night in bite-sized pieces. 
And maybe in the hopes that every single night you do eventually say the paraphrasis, maybe. But um, it's better to have some sort of form structure in which we do it, uh, other than the one-offs, you know, when I just feel inspired to do it, so, yeah. But yeah, it's true in the books, it says this is where you can insert a, an apathist, um, and that's, that is true, so. Uh, other questions? So there are, again, there are supplicatory services for all kinds of things. Um, uh, here's one that is a beautiful one. The Oculist to Jesus Christ for a loved one who has fallen asleep. If you have a loved one who has just fallen asleep. And um, the interesting thing is, to my knowledge, I think there's only one reference that is specifically orthodox. It doesn't, it can be prayed for anyone. It can be prayed for anyone. And even if there's that one part, maybe you omit that one part. But this can be prayed for anyone. And so um, this can also be as an act of love. We typically have the 40 days, which is a time when um, we're, the death of a loved one is close. And then we have the memorial on the 40th day. So you could do this every single day for 40 days. Or part of it each day for 40 days. As an act of love and compassion for the person who's just departed this life. You can also do the Trisagium service, which is uh, a service that we do in the church. You can, you can just read that, um, those prayers as well at home. But we need to pray for the departed. Desperately, we need to pray for the departed because in no uh, long time, all of us will be a little uh, pearl of Koliva. All of us will be gone from this life and we will be able to do nothing for our salvation. There's a story I just heard, um, St. Ephraim of Kaptenakia, who is just uh, about to be canonized. He's an interesting one. He, he wrote a book called Obedience is Life. How un-American is that? <laughs> <laughs> Obedience is Life. And he had a, um, a despicable elder, an elder who was just not a nice person and really, quite frankly, abused him. To the point that he had many other monastics around him who were saying, why are you still with him? Why are you still doing this? And then his elder passed away. After many years, I believe it was two or three decades of him being in obedience to this elder. And he knew that it was for his salvation to be obedient. I'm not advocating blind obedience, but we can talk, have a conversation about obedience sometime because it's, it's pretty important to the spiritual life. Um, and his elder passed away, and someone came to him and said, Ha! Now you're free! And you know what he said? No. Now begins my work. Now I need to pray for my elder even more. And he prayed fervently, fervently for many years for his elder. This elder who abused him, abused him, was not a good person. We're not talking like a saintly person who was doing this as a, like, you know, trying to sort of bring about their transformation. No, not like that. Sure, a, a person who was, you know, faithful in some ways. It's not black and white. But um, after many, many years, he had a vision of his elder. And his elder said to him, thank you. You have saved me. You have saved me. Just think about that. We can be saving souls through our prayers. Saving souls through our prayers. And there's a beautiful akathist that is for all the departed everywhere. And this akathist goes into 
like those who were torn apart by wild beasts, those who drowned and didn't receive a funeral, all different kinds of things. And it's a beautiful akathis that I, I would recommend if you, if you want to pray that, like on a Saturday occasionally or whatever. Pray for everyone. Everyone needs our prayers. And our prayers have effect towards salvation. Thoughts about that? Questions? So we pray a function? If yeah. We, if we pray an because that means not sitting, should we not be sitting? <laughs> <laughs> Our posture in prayer is standing. If, if sitting is necessary, then in our humility we need to sit. But our posture for praying is standing. The exception to that is the Jesus prayer, um, which you can also do standing. It's not bad to do it standing, but the more common practice with the Jesus prayer is sitting or kneeling. Um, so but otherwise, our position of prayer is standing. So it's kind of funny it's called not sitting because we never sit. <laughs> we never sit. <laughs> and you go to churches that have no chairs, and then you're not going to sit. So, um, the last part to push it even further with what we, um, what we can pray or for whom we can pray. This is a beautiful, beautiful prayer from uh, St. Nikolai Velomirovich. Bless my enemies, O Lord. How many of you have heard this before? Yes. I believe this is one of his prayers by the lake. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing, but um, we'll just read it at the beginning. Bless my enemies, O Lord. I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends have. Friends have bound me to earth. Enemies have loosed me from the earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Enemies have made me a stranger in worldly realms and an extraneous inhabitant of the world, just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does. So have I, persecuted by enemies, found the safest sanctuary, having ensconced myself beneath your tabernacle, where neither friends nor enemies can slay my soul. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them and do not curse them. So read it. And if you have anyone that you have a really, really, really hard time with, and they may be your flesh and blood, for a disclosure, pray this. Because what's happening in this is, first of all, you are asking a blessing upon your enemies. <coughs> Second of all, you're, you're putting that word enemy, and that word enemy, because this, again, this can be our loved ones. This can be our, our close relatives. It's a, it's a strong word. It's hard to say that. But what do we see through this? This is actually about the transformation of my soul. I'm asking a blessing upon them. Why am I asking a blessing upon them? Because my asking a blessing transforms me. It heals me. And this is what the prayer is all about, is realizing it's not about them. And I don't mean this in a like egotistical, selfish way. It's not about them. It's about how I am deformed and mutilated and wounded on the inside in relation to them. Did they cause that to me? No, no. They didn't. 
And that's a hard thing to realize. They didn't cause it. <coughs> my own wound. And it is only for my healing. I am the only one that can heal it. So getting angry at someone, wishing vengeance upon them, wishing that they get their just desserts, what's happening in that situation? I'm taking a knife and stabbing my soul. That's what's happening in that situation. That's a very blunt image, isn't it? That's what's happening. Am I doing anything to them? I may be causing harm in their life. I may. Because our desires and wishes have very real effect upon people. But I'm also harming myself. So this is a, a beautiful prayer that helps to, to work us through that. Okay. Yes? Um, If you read the prayers, they're really about their earthly life and being on the right course in their earthly life. I would say we, we really do make a very clear distinction between how we pray for the departed and how we pray for the living. Why? Because we can't, act, we can't pray for a good life for the departed. We can't pray that they do virtuous things. They can't do anything for themselves, good or evil. They can do nothing for themselves. So we pray for their salvation. Whereas the living, there are lots of different ways that we can pray for them. How they have a, live their lives, how they interact with others, how they commune with God, all of that. So, you know, th this would be my recommendation. Um, other questions? Is that okay? Yeah. You're praying for their soul. No, they're still, this is about praying for their soul. Yeah. And uh, the Trisagion is the go-to service in the church for the departed. Trisagion, if you haven't heard it, I don't have a booklet of the Trisagion. Do we have like a little Trisagion booklet in the bookstore? Um, so it's, um, you can find it online. It's a very brief service. It's maybe five minutes long. We do it multiple times in the course of a person's, um, from the time of their falling asleep until they're buried. We do that service multiple times, and then we continue doing that service. And then, in the, in, at least in our parish practice, it's different in monasteries. In our parish practice, basically an elongated version of the Trisagion is what we call the memorial service. There's a couple more hymns on the beginning. So um, that's a, a, something that we can make a, a firm commitment of. I'll pray this every single night. It's five minutes. I'll pray it every single night for this person who's recently departed. And the Trisagion is yeah. Uh, yeah, the memorial and the trisagion are in the back of our liturgy books. Or any liturgy book. They're almost any liturgy book. If we have one at home, we have the memorial, the trisagion. If it has a memorial, there's just a couple of hymns at the beginning. But you can say those too. That's fine. Yeah. Yes. So tomorrow, if you didn't know about it, tomorrow is... <clears throat> what we commonly call a Saturday of the Souls. Technically it's not, that's another conversation, but there is a Saturday of the Souls last week, and then tomorrow we'll also pray for the departed, and then next Saturday will be the third day in which we have a liturgy praying for the departed. And these uh, services, it's a normal orthros and liturgy, but for the particular day, and then afterwards we do a Trisagion um, service for anyone. So you can come and bring names for, for prayer for those who have departed this life. 
Um, and then the common practice is to offer koliva. So for those who know how to make koliva, bring a little, they bring a little koliva to that, um, which is the boiled wheat dish. So, yeah. So Father, it sounds like you were talking about that there's two different access to the party. Yeah, there's another one that um, somehow Presbyteta uh, uh, <coughs> found online, and I can point you to it. I don't think we have a printed booklet of it. And, and what would be the This is for a person. This is like you put their oh. name in, and this is for, or you can put a couple people's names okay. in and make it a plural. Okay. That other one is for everyone everywhere. Okay. And at the very end, it actually, it's, it's an elongated version of the prayer that we say in the Trisagion service. So, yeah. And do we have some book, like large books with Akathis? Yeah, I, it I might be in there. Okay, yeah. So there are also books of Akathis. There's so many supplicatory services that are out there. Yeah. Good. I think, I think we'll, we're a little past time already, so we'll just spend a few minutes. I'll go. Uh, once around the prayer room. Mm -hmm. And we're doing this the way that I said not to, which is we're jumping right into it. But in the interest of the situation, <laughs> this is what we'll do. We've been prayerful, so. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. 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 For the prayers of our Holy Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy upon us and save us. Amen. <coughs> A final quote for you. This is from Elder Ephraim of Arizona, who just recently reposed. Compel yourselves into Jesus' prayer. This will become everything for you. Food and drink and clothing and light and consolation and spiritual life. This prayer becomes everything for him who possesses it. Without it, the emptiness of the soul cannot be satisfied. Do you want to love Christ? Long for the prayer and embrace humility. And then you will realize that the kingdom of God is within you. Do not let evil thoughts rule over you. 
drive them out immediately with the prayer. Oh, this prayer, what miracles it performs. Cry out the prayer, and your guardian angel will send you spiritual fragrance. The angels greatly rejoice when a person prays with the prayer of our sweetest Jesus. May Jesus be the delight of your soul. Amen. Thank you.